Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today our lead pastor, Dave Johnson, will bring a message of hope through our series, Moses Faithful Servant. We're excited to share another powerful episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. I thought I'd start this message with a random question and I hopefully, hopefully you'll see where I'm going with this. How do countries die? How do countries die? Some die because they get absorbed. They're so small that they get absorbed into other countries. And, you know, we saw this in 2015 with the annexation of Crimea in Ukraine, which has led to a whole bunch of mess what's happening in Ukraine right now. We've seen this more so in our own country. You guys, maybe you didn't know this, that Texas was actually a country and it got swallowed up. The Republic of Texas was a sovereign country from 1836 to 1845, and it was annexed by the United States. Hawaii, many of you have been to Hawaii, small kingdom, was annexed again by the United States in 1898. That's one way that countries die. They're so small that the bigger power comes in and absorbs them. There's a number of ways countries die, by the way, economically, all sorts of things. But another way that a country dies is under its own weight. Some of you know what a supernova is, right? Like if you know what space is, if you know what space is, what a dumb statement. Have any of you ever seen a star? Another really dumb question. Yes, supernova is when stars die. What they do is they go and get so massively huge that they end up collapsing under their own weight. This is another way that countries die. Please indulge me as I dive into World War II Japan just for a moment, right? Japan's goal was to be the Great Britain of the Pacific. And what they did, quite literally, is they took over all territory from Manchuria to Korea, the Sunto Japanese Wars in the late 1800s. They took over all Korea, Manchuria. They took over all of China, not all of China, but tons and tons of China, the Battle of Shanghai, the Rape of Nanking. They went all the way down, almost into, uh, they took over the Philippines, they took over Indonesia, uh, Myanmar. I mean, just all of Southeast Asia was completely owned by the, uh, by the Japanese before the beginning of World War II. And as World War II broke out, the Japanese wanted to knock the Americans out of the battle, so they, they did Pearl Harbor, which we all know what Pearl Harbor is, to, in an attempt to keep them out because they knew that if anyone else came in, they were already spread so thin across this entire region that there's no way that they would be able to win a war with the Americans. And so they tried to knock America out of the war, and it had the opposite effect, where America came into the war and spread them so thin on resources that it was so interesting. Towards the end of of the war in 1945, they lacked the ability to even take crude oil and make it gasoline. So they were pouring crude oil straight into their multi-million dollar destroyer-class boats. I warned you guys, by the way, when I started, I'm a war nerd, okay? They're pouring straight crude oil onto them and just ruining their motors. They only lasted a certain amount of time and because they were getting sunk left and right. The Japanese Zero uh, planes that were made uh, by Mitsubishi, by the way, Mitsubishi made the, the Japanese Zero planes that they did the kamikaze attacks. They were so amazing, these planes. They, they didn't have enough jet fuel 
when they first were producing the plane, so they, towards the end of the war, they were taking oxen and towing them all the way over to the military field where they could fly because they just didn't have the resources because they got so big that they couldn't handle their own massive size anymore. They got so big that what happened was the things that they had done early on, the absolute brutal atrocities that they had committed in Manchuria and Shanghai and Nanking and all these other places were beginning to come back on their heads because the Americans were going into these spots and all these people gladly turned on the Japanese. And what happened was Japan supernovaed. It got so big for such a, a short period of time that it collapsed in on itself within the matter of a few days in 1945. Not just Japan, but Germany, USSR, a number of countries go this way, where they get so big that they collapse in on themselves. And almost what happens, and what happened in Japan and what happened in all these other places is sort of like the atrocities that they committed along the way, where they just all kind of came back to them. It happened with Germany, it happened with Russia, it's happened with countries over and over and over and over again. The sin they committed came back on their own heads. Today we're talking about the ten plagues as we get into Moses' story. And what happened in Egypt was that the sin, the atrocities, the, the number of things that Pharaoh did to the uh, Hebrew people end up coming back on Pharaoh's own head. It's kind of the way that countries go. And I think the Bible shares this story with us and shares these sorts of things with us to help us understand that this is just sort of the way that these countries go. Because in the Bible, there'll be a number of different countries that, that we've got to contend with. One of the nations is, is Egypt, and that's sort of the prototype for all other power that's gone awry, all other power that's devoid of God's power. And you see Babylon a few years later, and what happens is the same thing. Their sin sort of comes back to bite them. In the book of Revelation, you see all these crazy things happening. You know, they're opening these seals and scrolls and all kinds of plagues and things like that. They are directly related to these plagues that we're going to read today. We're not doing a study on Revelation right now. One day we will. We're not doing it at the moment. But these plagues are directly related to that because it's sort of just saying that the way these countries operate that are completely devoid of God is sort of God's way of judging these countries by allowing their own sin to come back on their own heads. This is God's judgment. This is what God does with these nations and it's sort of like there's always this faithful person. So in our story here today, this faithful person is Moses and Aaron. And he's faithful with God's word through the whole thing. And then, you know, a few years later in Babylon, there's a faithful person is Daniel. And he's faithful to the end. And then even in the book of Revelation, there's a faithful person. And it's Jesus. It's the lamb. And he's faithful to the end. But it's almost like this is the way that world powers always act. It's like the Bible says, this is what power looks like when it's run amok. This is the way it always acts. Human power always oppresses. Human power always breaks people. Human power always tries to mold people into their own image. This is simply the way of human systems, human power. So I'm introducing the plagues with the way that countries die <laughs> because it's sort of the way that Egypt died. Now, Egypt, to be clear, didn't die after this moment. 
After the Exodus, they still existed as a country, but they kind of went into what, what historians would call like a dark period because they lost their entire economy because of what happened here. And it hurts when we get judged. And we're going to look at that. And so anyways, we've been in this series on Moses. I hope that introduction helps you with what's going to come on today. And, and I'll, I'll help connect the dots here in a, in a couple minutes here. But if you're just joining us in this Moses series, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. He was an enslaved, Pharaoh enslaved Moses' people and the Israelites. And as, they're becoming, as Moses is becoming more and more aware of the injustice done to his people, he tries to deliver his own people, but he can't do it. He can't deliver his own people. Not on his own uh, volition. He, he needs the help of God. And, and we see that Moses had this encounter with a burning bush with God himself, and it actually says the angel of the Lord was in the bush, so we notice God personified in person there. So he meets God, and God gives him this huge call, and he tells him his name. His name is Yahweh, and this is the personal name of God, and it's so important that we learn the personal name of God because God wants to have a personal relationship with his people, and this is what he's doing for Moses right there. And so last week, we, we talked a little bit about Moses continually having these objections with God. God, I don't know. I'm not the right person. Send someone else. Send Aaron. I don't want to do it, Lord. But God sends him through there anyways. And so this week, actually for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about the, the 10 plagues um, because there's so much scripture to cover. We're going to cover all of them both weeks in two completely different ways. That's my hope. So anyways... Buckle up, because we're about to go through a lot of plagues here. Pharaoh is the archetypal foe of the Bible, just so you know. Every time we talk about Pharaoh, we're talking about this human power that has completely gone unchecked, gone astray. And the Bible will constantly point back to these plagues. So if you've got your Bible, I, I'm going to be jumping around a lot between Exodus 5 and Exodus 12. So we're going to be in Exodus 5 for a moment here, verses 1 through 2. The text says this, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Look at the response of Pharaoh here. He says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Pharaoh asked this question because in Pharaoh's mindset, he is the, the, the person of, he is the incarnation of Ra, the sun god. So Pharaoh is like, listen, I am the god over my people. I am the personal god over all of them. Who is Yahweh that I should listen or obey this guy? Don't you know that you're in the presence of greatness? Don't you get it? You're in the presence of greatness here. This is a battle now between two rival gods, between Yahweh and between Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, you know how to remember your place here, buddy. I'm enslaving you, not the other way around. You're under my thumb, not the other way around. There will be seven times during these plagues that Yahweh will say a variation of the next verse, and I believe it's in a direct response to what Pharaoh says here. Who is Yahweh that I should obey him, that I should know him? 
Exodus 7, 5. This will happen seven different times, which in, in a Hebrew way, it means complete. The number seven, whenever it's used in, in the biblical narrative, is not like a mistake. Not like, oh, whoops, we accidentally said this seven times. No, 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 no. It is very intentional to, to let you know that this is a complete and total something. Whatever it's trying to say is very important. Exodus 7, 5. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out. Seven times God will say a variation of this phrase throughout the plagues. It's like, Pharaoh, you don't know me. I'm about to introduce myself to you. But what I think is important is to point out is just as much as these plagues were a judgment for Egypt and the sinful ways that they acted, it's also part of God's really severe grace. And I know that sounds terrible, but let me say what this means. Pharaoh's heart gets so hard that the only way for Yahweh to actually get his attention is these plagues. Sometimes our hearts can grow so hard towards God that the only way for us to recognize him sometimes is through pain. C.S. Lewis points this out. C.S. Lewis says, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Many of us know that quote, but what C.S. Lewis says after that in The Problem of Pain is that it's one of his most horrifying and horrendous things that God uses is pain to rouse a deaf world. Because so many times our own hearts get so hard. We want to be the God of our own lives. And the only way that God has to break through the hardness of that heart is pain. And this is what's happening. He, he has plans for Pharaoh. I believe God loves Pharaoh here too. And we're going to see that in these plagues. That God actually loves Pharaoh and has a plan for Pharaoh. But Pharaoh just won't listen. Through the process of these plagues, it won't just be Egypt's pain, but God's people need to be reshaped. God's people need to see that Pharaoh isn't the most powerful person in the land anymore, but there actually is a powerful God that loves them. So his people need to be reshaped. And we actually get our first glimpse of what it's going to be like for Moses to lead the Israelites in, in chapter 5. Because when Moses goes to, uh, to Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go, we all know the story. What happens is that Pharaoh says, hey, let them continue making bricks, but they need to find their own straw. Well, I'm not giving them any more straw. And they need to make the same amount of bricks, but no straw. So Exodus 5, 21 says this, and the people were being oppressed, and that's happened, and they were upset, and it says this, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. They're talking to Moses. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword to their hand to kill us. So God's people who are supposed to be let out are now suffering from a form of like Stockholm syndrome, right? Like we want to still look good to Pharaoh. We don't want to look bad to Pharaoh. Even though he's our oppressor and he's, you know, making us slaves, we still want to look good to Pharaoh. We don't want to upset our oppressor. And it's because their identity is still forged under the fact that they're slaves that they're saying this. And guess what? It gets hard for Israel and they complain. And this is going to be a running theme through the book of Exodus. That even what they said back in Egypt, like, what are you doing making us look bad to Pharaoh? You made life hard for us. But God is okay with making life hard for us, by the way, if it takes us somewhere deeper. He's fine with that. 
So after this, Moses rightfully goes to God and is like, Lord, what's up? This is Exodus 5, 22 through 23. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on his people and you've not rescued your people at all. Moses needed more confidence too. God is shaping Moses now. He's taking him through these difficult times to shape him into the kind of person who could lead two million people in the desert. But he's got to do it here first. God, what's important here is this, is that Moses actually goes to God in his discouragement. How many times do we get discouraged and we go somewhere else? Like, I'm just going to go play on my phone for a little while. I'm just going to go buy something on Amazon for a little while. I'm just going to go do, like, talk to somebody else. Moses gets discouraged and he goes right back to the Lord. He took his discouragement to the Lord because the Lord could handle it. He brings his doubt to Yahweh because he has a relationship with Yahweh. You could do the same thing. We all go through times of doubt and discouragement, and that's okay. I think God is okay with us going through times of doubt and discouragement, but we've got to come to him and say, Lord, I'm doubting right now. I've got discouragement right now. This hurts me right now. Bring it to him because maybe he's using that to reshape you. Maybe that's part of his grace is to reshape you through those times and make you into someone new. Faithfully walking through discouragement and doubt with God will solidify your faith. It'll make it strong. See, because Moses brought his discouragement and his doubt to the Lord, we don't have enough time to to cover it today, all of it, But Moses says in chapter 6, he says, I am the Lord five times to Moses. And he encourages him that he's in charge of all of human life. The beginning and the end, he's got it covered. So he encourages Moses throughout the way because God, because Moses brought these to God, God will then spend five times in chapter 6 telling him, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. It's okay, I've got this. Just walk faithfully with me. And this encouragement will be huge in Moses' life because it'll be what allows him to go stand before Pharaoh and say the things that he has to say next and do the things that he has to do next. So like I said, we're going to cover the 10 plagues two times in two completely different ways. And the first way we're going to look at this, we're going to just jump right into it, is is simply this. Um, In Genesis 1, in the seven days of creation... God spoke 10 times, and God said, let there be light, and God said, let there be a separation. 10 times, God speaks. And these are known as the 10 words in in the the Hebrew mindset. These are the 10 words. And then what happens in in Exodus is that there's these 10 plagues. And once you know it, that these 10 plagues have a really deep corresponding with some of those 10 words. That God's judgment, the way he works, is to, to judge Egypt, to help them kind of implode on themselves and supernova on themselves is to actually take the goodness of creation away from them. That's what these 10 plagues are doing. And so there's 10 words in the the creation. There's 10 ways that God decreates Egypt. And then later on, there's going to be 10 more very important things in the book of Exodus. Does anybody know what those are? Moses? Commandments. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be a way that God recreates. 
remakes a whole group of people is through the Ten Commandments. So these ten things end up being really important. Why did I take five minutes and talk about Japan supernovaing in the East? You know, why did I do that? Because this is the exact same way that Egypt implodes; their own sins come back on them, on their own heads. So let's get to some of the plagues. Exodus seven. 14 through 19. And forgive me, I'm not going to read through every single one of these because we'd be here till sometime next week. And I want to encourage you to read through the 10 plagues this week when you get home. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river, confront him on the banks of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then he said to him, the, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. With this staff, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and will, it will be changed into blood. The fish of the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch it out over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will tur- the, it'll turn into blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. So this is the first plague. Taking the Nile River, the source of life in Egypt, the source of the entire economy, it waters all the crops, it, it, it goes for fishing and everything, drinking water, all of that and turn it into blood. This is an inverse of what God first did, I mean, I'm sorry, what Pharaoh first did to the firstborn of Egypt. The firstborn, uh, I, keep, I keep misspeaking, the firstborn of Israel, mixing up nations. What Pharaoh did in chapter one is he took all the baby boys because he was trying to stop them from being fruitful and multiplying, from growing too numerous, numerous. And he drowns the baby boys in the Nile. So when I say that he takes the sin of Pharaoh and puts it right back on his head, this is what I mean. He took the very river that was meant to be an instrument of death for these Hebrew people and he made it an instrument of death for Pharaoh. So creation in in Genesis 1, one of the things you see is God created and it was good. God created this and that, and it was good. And and it's true. This morning, you woke up, and you didn't have to think twice about the air that you breathe. You just breathed it. God made it. It's good creation. You drink water. Some of you drank boiled water with coffee in it, right? And you were like, this is good. You know, I'm surviving. And you didn't even think about it. You just drank water, and you're surviving. You know, God provides all that we need. You had breakfast this morning because God made plants grow. And animals and things like that. Like, you're used to the goodness of creation. It's closer than the air that you breathe. So it's like, it's just obvious. It's just there. But what God is doing now is beginning to remove some of the goodness of that creation. And so plague one, water into blood, the first plague, what he's doing is he's removing that goodness. He's stripping out that goodness of creation and causing it to break a little bit. There's a rarely used Hebrew verb that connects God's creation to the waters in Genesis 1.10, that the water is being changed into blood, that God created these waters for people and they were good. And now, because of Pharaoh's evil, they've turned into blood. 
because of his own act. And that what I'm going to do now is I'm going to just jump through like all these plagues, okay? So we're just going to go through them. The second plague is frogs. Now, one time I was in Kauai with my family, and it was, I was a teenager, and uh, a couple years before there was a hurricane. And for whatever reason, frogs came on the island, toads. And they were being infested with toads everywhere. Like, you would step out, you would literally step on a toad. And we would, yet the hotel we were at, we were driving, and it was like, pop, 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 pop. Just driving over toads. It was the craziest thing. We all mentioned, they're like, this is like biblical times. This is absolutely insane. But when frogs are absolutely everywhere, it's a completely menacing thing. But it connects to creation because what God did in creation is he separated the dry land from the wetland. And he created all this separation. This is God's order. And what frogs are, are these creatures that live in both. They live in both the water and the dry land. And so what it does is it tears down that separation between the waters and the land. It's decreating. And this is, this is the way that God judges these nations, is that he decreates. Plague three, the plague of gnats. Oh, man. Gnats are coming up in Sacramento, and then next week when it starts getting hot, they're going to be even more. I, I ride my bike all the time. Just even yesterday, I'm riding my bike, and, you know, gnats straight down the back of the throat. Because they just, yeah, you see this little, like, oh, what's this little, uh, you know, this little patch of, like, gray in the sky? And then you quickly find out. You just, poof, gnats. Terrible. God creates gnats out of the, out of the dust of the earth. And in Genesis 2, what does God do? He takes the dust of the earth and he forges it into man, into human beings. What are gnats created to do? Gnats are created to decompose, literally for death. So in Genesis, in creation, God is making life. And this plague, the gnats, what God is doing is he's tearing life down. He's bringing that which decomposes and here, Pharaoh's magicians are like, hey, this is the finger of God. This is God now. Like, we can't reproduce this. The first couple plagues, they were able to reproduce, probably because the water was already blood and probably because there was frogs everywhere already. But they could not reproduce this one. They said, hey, this is the, the hand of God. Plague four, flies. Oh, you get one or two flies in your house and it feels like a plague, Right? Flies are the air creatures. They live in the air, and it says that they swarm. And these are the exact same words used in Genesis 1.20 when God says, let there be a swarm of birds in the sky and a swarm of, of, of uh, fish in the oceans. Flies like to hang out on dead things. That's what flies like to do. God is bringing about a creature that is attracted to death. Because he's telling Pharaoh, your whole scheme, your whole thing here is death. And so I'm going to make it so. This is also the first uh, plague where there's a distinction between Israel. Israel doesn't get the flies, but Egypt does. Plague five, plague of livestock. This plague is actually just a straight up sickness of the livestock. But in Genesis 1.24, God made livestock for humans to be these helper animals for humans. The, you know, the cows, the donkeys, the camels, all these different things. And now God takes these animals that are helpers in Egypt and kills them, makes them die. 
Then plague six, this one sounds terrible, the plague of boils. So here Moses goes to an oven and throws in the soot of the air and, and, and it lands on humans and they get boils all over them. And this plague doesn't fit perfectly into Genesis 1 through 2, but the word boils here in Hebrew is actually snake spelled backwards. And, and the Hebrew authors do this all the time. That just like the, the serpent nature of, of Pharaoh, which we talked about a few weeks ago, that Pharaoh is almost like this new snake in the garden, that these boils are sort of like Pharaoh's sin now, coming right back down on to his own people. Because Pharaoh goes back into his old ways right after this. Every single time, every single plague, Pharaoh doesn't repent. He kind of does sometimes, but then he's like, nah, I'm just kidding. No way, you're not going anywhere. Plague seven, the plague of hail. This is a long plague, and we're going to need to camp out here just for one second. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I were driving up to Hume Lake on vacation, and we drove through Kings Canyon, and it was hailing like hail I've never seen before. The ground turned completely white. The back of my van started to fishtail. It started getting gnarly there for a second. It was crazy. It was so loud, we couldn't even talk to each other in the van. It was just amazingly crazy. But this hail was like... That this plague of hail would like kill people. Exodus 9, 15 through 16. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth, but I've raised you up for this purpose. This is what God is now tearing, telling Pharaoh. I could have just wiped you off the face of the earth, but instead I'm giving you this severe justice, all these plagues, because I've got something for you. So that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. See, even though Pharaoh is totally disobedient, God had a plan and a purpose for him too. And he refused to live into it. There might be some of you here who are not following Jesus today. Or you're here because your husband dragged you or your wife dragged you or your mom dragged you or your dad dragged you. And it's just easier to come to church than to argue with them, right? It's easy to look at Pharaoh and think, well, that guy's a lost cause. That guy's the worst. But God had a plan for him too. If you're here today, God has a plan for you. He loves you and wants you to be part of his world. He wants to have a relationship with you. But he had to break Pharaoh's rebellion and disobedience. And Pharaoh's rebellion was so total that it had to be severe. If you're here and you're not following Jesus, he, he wants you as a part of his life. I don't think he wants you to go through these plagues that, that Pharaoh has. I think he's willing, you to allow, he's willing to allow you to go through trouble, to break selfishness, to break patterns, to come to him. So while Pharaoh didn't bow down and worship Yahweh, we have to remember that every time Moses comes to Pharaoh's house, the entire court is watching. The entire court. So this is the first plague where grace is actually offered. To the people. Exodus 9, 19 through 21. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and still out in the field and will die. And listen to this. Those officials of Pharaoh who heard the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. So now Pharaoh's own court is starting to listen to Yahweh. They're starting to listen to God and, and they're actually bringing in their, they're starting to fear God. They're bringing their animals in and their animals are saved and they're slaves. Plague eight, the plague of the locusts. 
The locust eats everything. I remember when I was a kid, I was driving home from Arizona one time, and there was like this grasshopper slash locust swarm, and it was like our entire windshield was a bloodbath of locusts. It was crazy. But these things ate all the vegetation that God made, the vegetation, the plants. And it says in, in straight up in Exodus chapter 10 that God caused this east wind, this ruach. If you were here with our word series last year, you know what that word means. The spirit of God, the breath, the wind. It took, this ruach came and destroyed all the vegetation. Whereas in Genesis 1, the ruach of God comes and creates life and order. Plague 9, the plague of darkness. Now, this plague gets mistranslated in our English Bibles because in the Hebrew, it just says, let there be darkness. And what are the, some of the first words of Genesis 1? Let there be light. It's just a complete inverse of that. And then plague 10, which we're going to cover a lot more next week, is the plague of the firstborn. It's the plague the, where the firstborn sons of Israel die. Now, let me get to this because we're actually going to end pretty quick here. Let me get to the last couple points here. And this is where I've saved all your fill-ins for the very end. <laughs> the plague reveals Yahweh as the true creator God. This is what the plagues do. They reveal Yahweh as a true creator God because Pharaoh would ask in the very beginning, who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? And God shows him, I'm the true creator God. I have now taken away the goodness of creation in your, in your country. I have taken the sins that you have committed against my people and I've brought them up against you right over your head and I'm making the Egyptian supernova. You guys expanded so huge. You were the largest, the biggest country at the time. And now you're just coming down like a broken star. The plagues represent the sin of Pharaoh coming, being turned back against Egypt. And Moses got a front row seat to what Pharaoh was doing. And Pharaoh had to learn a hard lesson for this. What Pharaoh had to learn and what Moses was getting a front row seat to is, is this. For the wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Moses would have to learn this lesson too. The wages of sin is death. Next feeling is this. God's justice is to allow unrepented sin to consume us. How does God judge in this earth? We've already seen and you can see through history all these nations that rise and fall because of their own sin because of their own complacency, their own whatever. They, they all rise and fall as a result of that. But unrepented sin absolutely consumes us. God created a way out for us. It's the cross. He sent his son to take this sin from us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might become clean before God, so that we might become made new before God. He, he sent his son to die on the cross to take away our sin. But we want to live in a world that pretends sin doesn't exist. We want to live in a world that legislates and says sin is actually good. We want to live in this world where we can sin and it's all okay. And sin doesn't even mean anything. But what the Bible is trying to say is this. Sin will decreate your life. It'll untangle creation. It'll unravel your life. It'll unravel you. And God wants the best for you. He wanted the best for Moses. 
And he wanted the best for, for Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who was just unrelenting, he wanted the best for him. He wanted all the world to know that he was Yahweh. And he wanted Pharaoh to know he was Yahweh, but he still wouldn't repent of his sin. I think the point of all these plagues is that sin deeply messes with life and brings death. Sin decreates, sin strips us of our life, and sin has consequences for individuals and nations. And for Egypt, the consequence was to implode on itself. The last one, God's justice is to send his son to forgive our sin and make available a relationship with God. That's God's justice now to us. So maybe you're here today and you're a lot like Pharaoh, right? <laughs> You know you've got sin in your life, but your heart is hard. You're like, no, I'll, I'll go about it my own way. Life will be painful for you. It will. God will allow you to go through pain and suffering as an act of grace because he wants you, but he needs to break that in your heart first. And it's terrible. I don't think he even wants that for you, but it's part of his tool chest to bring you to him. Very uplifting message today, Pastor. Very exciting. <laughs> God's justice, though, is to take the sin that we've had and to absorb it into his own life and return good and make us into new creations. This is what God wants for you. So maybe you're here today and you simply need to say yes to Jesus. You're like, I don't want to be like Pharaoh. I, I, I need to listen to God and do what he says. So I want to invite you now right now in this next worship song to respond to the Lord. Maybe it's just a time of saying, God, I take my sin. Uh, God, I put my trust in you. Whatever that might be, I just want to give you this next moment as we do that. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Help us to put our trust in you. Help those right now who need to say, God, here's my sin. I pray that you would take it and forgive me of it. Help those who are walking through that right now too. Lord, we just pray for the work that you'll do in the next coming moments here. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church podcast with Pastor Dave. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of REC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.